Hello everyone, I'm Wyatt Scott and I'm a Senior Research Associate on the Resource Security Program at New America. And hi, I'm Eli Patton, Lead Researcher for the Wilson Center's China Environment Forum. With the 20, 26th Conference of Parties of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change well underway in Glasgow, Eli and I thought now would be a pertinent time to discuss China's domestic decarbonization efforts and how its foreign policy is taking shape to help the country realize an energy transition. Some important statistics up front. China currently is responsible for around 25% of global emissions and relies on coal for roughly 60% of its energy consumption. Countries such as the United States and the United Kingdom have criticized China for not doing enough to rein in pollution. Eli, you have a thought-provoking piece in the Wilson Center's New Security Beat on China's decarbonization efforts. And my first question to kick the conversation is, kick the conversation off is, what steps has China taken at home to reduce its carbon footprint? So there is a common and critical narrative surrounding China's dependence on fossil fuels, and it you know, seems justified considering the facts you just laid out. However, at the same time, China is perhaps doing more than any other country to decarbonize its energy systems. Uh, for starters, last year in 2020, China installed 70 gigawatts of wind and about 45 gigawatts of solar capacity. That's more than twice as much as the U.S. installed. Also, uh, prices for solar and wind technology just keep dropping at these breathtaking speeds, and this trend is likely to continue. If so, this could lead to installs over the next year, uh, uh, the next 10 years that equate to about 1,000 gigawatts of capacity, which is roughly the same amount uh, of capacity China currently has available from coal. Second, aside from building a massive nationwide ultra high voltage power grid, China's state grid has also been mandated to add battery backups at the sites of generation and along the grid. And some 80% of the materials needed for new batteries and the three largest manufacturers are in China, along with, of course, most of the world's electric cars and buses. So, uh, uh, and also another thing, the Chinese government is now penalizing fossil fuel emissions through its carbon trading scheme. Energy prices are set by the government and therefore it's just not profitable to burn sometimes uh, for the coal. And, you know, that was a contributing factor for the recent power outages. And, and, you know, these coal plants, there are new coal plants being constructed and they are replacing dirty local coal with centralized power. And that also does reduce uh, some of the emissions. Uh, Xi Jinping has a goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2060, and if China continues on its current course of reforms, markets, and mandates, this will likely lead the nation to meet these goals years ahead of schedule. Interesting. So, so let's pivot to China's activity abroad. In the lead up to COP26, Xi Jinping pledged that China would stop constructing new coal-fired power plants abroad. Eli, what's your take on Xi's pledge and what it means for global emissions and the developing world? Right. So even before the pandemic, but especially since Chinese overseas investment in fossil fuel energy has fallen off a cliff. Naturally, there are domestic drivers in both China and the recipient countries that fall into this. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic itself. Still, many people see this as a beginning, uh, one of the major areas for U.S.-China competition going forward. Uh, and, you know, China and U.S. are on different paths to decarbonization, and it seems like they have little desire to cooperate. So I'd like to ask you, Wyatt, how do you see this unfolding? Will other governments and societies and places like uh, Southeast Asia, how will they factor into the equation? I think both countries have much to gain from cooperating on, on technological development specifically. After all, it's one atmosphere, right? And that being said, the United States and China will and, and are competing in this space, not just in developing the green technologies of tomorrow, but also in competing for the materials necessary to develop those technologies, which happen to be heavily concentrated in production. China and the United States rely on many of the same producers and each other for the critical minerals that are fueling the clean tech sector. A 2021 National Intelligence Council report highlights exactly this, noting that countries will compete for access to and control of resource supply chains. 
And you asked about Southeast Asia. The Indo-Pacific dominates global production of a few of these resources. For example, Indonesia, the Philippines, and Australia account for roughly 50% of global mine production of nickel. And this feeds downstream production of primary nickel in China and Japan, which together account for 50% of global production of primary nickel. Chinese metal companies are investing heavily in these countries, in many cases for a majority ownership stake of companies and their assets. Australia is another example, dominating lithium production, which is relatively new as Argentina, Chile, and Bolivia formerly were leading in production of lithium, though they continue to be significant players. Bolivia, for example, is estimated to hold about half of the world's lithium reserves. China also has significant lithium reserves, but these resources are less useful in mid and downstream processing due to limited technology and the nature of China's reserves. Australia is another case in point. Uh, to get to your question about competition, China's investing heavily in Australia's metal sector, uh, which has recently come under increased scrutiny from the Australian government. As for the United States, policymakers have been keen to push for diplomatic engagement on critical minerals with Australia. And in 2019, the USGS director and Australia's Minister of Resources announced a formal partnership to cooperate on exploration and development. And Australia is not the only case in point where there's clear competition between the United States and China for influence and access in major producers of critical minerals. But um, with that, we're just about out of time. So I just want to thank everybody for joining us. I'm Wyatt Scott of New America here with Eli Patton of the China Environment Forum talking about China, climate change, and geopolitics. Thanks, Wyatt.